0: Hi, this is Brian Tarrant for Significance Magazine, and I'm reporting live from JSM 2019 in Denver, Colorado. And I'm here today with Kelly McConville of Reed College. Hello, Kelly. Hello. And we're talking about voter ID laws. So earlier this week, you gave a talk about the impact of voter ID laws. But before we get into that, do you want to tell listeners a bit about yourself
1: yeah, great. Thanks, Brian. Uh, so, I am an assistant professor of statistics at Reed College. Um, I've been there for a year, and so actually the study I'm going to talk about today was one I did when I was at Swarthmore College, which is right outside Philadelphia.
0: Okay. And so, it's, it's on voter ID laws. So, uh, if we have got listeners outside the U.S., you might want to explain voter ID laws and give it some context to that.
1: Yeah, great. So. Voter ID laws can take many forms, but in their purest form, it's just that someone goes to the polls to vote and they have to provide some document to verify their identification. So this could be a government-issued ID, it could be a non-government-issued photo ID, it could be a bank statement, it really varies from state to state what the particular law is.
0: Okay, so, so have there been recent changes to these laws?
1: Um, so I would say in terms of changes, it's been more that many more states are taking up the laws, so um, when we did our study, there were 33 states now that had voter ID laws, and we go back even a few decades there were very few states that had them and they were much less strict in terms of what identification you needed so it's typically stricter laws now and yeah we have so at this point in time now there are 35 states with voter ID laws.
0: Yeah. And so the the idea of the laws I guess is to prevent uh, fraudulent voting or people who might want to vote more than once or people who are not entitled to vote from actually doing that. But what was the question that you were looking to address through your research?
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, that would be the primary argument for the laws. Um, but a standard argument against the laws is that um, it makes it difficult for people who really have no good means to get an ID to be able to vote and that, unfortunately, this tends to impact specific groups um, more than others, um, minority groups in particular. So right, we really wanted to know, right, are people being affected by these voter ID laws where they aren't able to vote, and then also, is there a disparate impact?
0: Okay, so how do you go about answering a question? like that.
1: Yeah, so I guess first I should say this was not done by myself. I had two fabulous collaborators. Um, So the person who first posed the problem was Mary Gray at American University and then um, myself and Lynn Stokes from Southern Methodist University took up the charge to join her on this. So what we did is we did um, exit polling in around our institutions. So Mary did exit polling around Northern Virginia, I did it in Philadelphia, and then um, Lynn did it in Dallas County. And I'm saying we, but really actually our students, our undergrads, our graduate students, they were the ones who were going out to the the polling locations and asking people about their voting experience.
0: Okay. And would that be whether they were able to vote or not, whether exactly. they were turned away or sent home to get ID. That's
1: yep, what. yep. So we did not ask them who they voted for. We were just asking them yeah, whether they voted or not. Um, in Pennsylvania, we were particularly interested in whether or not it was also their first time voting in the district or not, because actually, the Pennsylvania law that came into effect in 2012, which was a voter ID law, was actually struck down at the beginning of 2014. So. In that case, the only people who were supposed to be asked to show ID were first-time voters in the district. So we, in particular, wanted to know, right, was this th- being enforced ad- uh, correctly?
0: Okay. And so what, did it, what were the findings what, what,
1: yeah, so, what came out of this? So what we found was that sort of across the three sites, about half a percent and two percent of people who went to the polls and tried to vote um, were turned away due to voter ID issues. And in particular, too, we did find at some of the sites that there was a disparate impact. So, in particular, in Dallas County, we found that female voters um, were 12.6 times more likely than male voters to have issues with voter ID issues, and that Black voters were four and a half times more likely to have voter ID issues than non-black voters. So again, right, we're seeing that this is a sort of impact that's not—it's not impacting everyone equally.
0: And did, were your stu- students able to, through the questionnaire that you had, were they able to pick up some of the reasons why are these pro- you know—why there might be this disparity?
1: Um, so we, you know, we didn't ask any questions specifically to that. One thing I should note, though, right, is that there were. The most common reason that someone was not able to vote at a particular place was actually just because they went to the wrong polling place. So, you know, we did have people who had voter ID issues, but that was not the most common reason that they were they were turned away.
0: Okay, so this was, th- Three sites that you were looking at, or um, was it multiple sites within?
1: Yeah, the d- exactly. Areas? Yep. So, so all three sites used a two-stage sampling design, where we took a random sample of polling locations, and then we did a systematic sample of people. Right. So the students at my site, they were interviewing every third third person.
0: Okay. And so, how, what can you say more generally then, based on the sample that you've got the? Uh, the um, analysis approach that you took. Is there anything that you can, any wider conclusions you can draw from this?
1: Yeah, so I guess as a statistician, I'll be very cautious in drawing two large generalizations. And i really say that more work needs to be done, right? More work needs to be done in, in different locations. And, you know, I would say, this is a great time then for me to plug, that I would love to see more academics take this up for multiple reasons. One being that I think it was a wonderful learning experience for our students. So right, I said I did it when I was at Swarthmore College and Swarthmore is an undergraduate only institution. So I had 100 undergrads in their introductory and intermediate stats courses learning about things that they just typically wouldn't have learned about like survey sampling and um, non-response errors and ethics and sure these might be things that we would touch on but but we touched on them much more deeply than we usually would. So so I think it really enriched the course and then the other thing is I think there's just a a feasibility thing right so we trained the students. I'd say it took about a week um, of course time to train the students. But then, right? We were able to send them out and do this exit polling. And if we were trying to hire a hundred people to do that, um, the the sticker price on that would be would be much higher than than sending students out on the train. So, so I guess I would say it's hard to generalize based on just um, our three sites, um, which again, all three of our places too had different voter ID laws, um, and so. So I would love to see more people do it, right? Another thing is we did it in the midterm year, but it'd be great to have people doing this in a, in a presidential election year.
0: Is this sort of questions, are they asked as part of the sort of exit polls that you know, media organizations might run. I mean, I'm talking from a UK perspective. I assume that they they do exit polls in the US in the same similar sort of way?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really great question. You know, I feel like what I see in exit polling is just estimates of who people voted for, right? So that we can have that information more quickly. and so I don't really know about people asking these questions. And I guess it would be lovely if they were also asking about you know, whether or not people had issues and the difficulty of getting to their polling place and, and if, if part of the process was confusing or anything like that.
0: And so it, let's say that you're able to do this future work and you, the, the results kind of extend to other areas. You, you find the similar sort of patterns. What, what are the kind of implications of the the findings for for the voting process for democracy. You know what what would be the the next step after that for addressing that through policy means?
1: Yeah, I think that's a lovely and a hard question. And so I guess I would ask our policymakers to think about really trying to broaden their definition of the document required to show who you are, right? So the narrower we make that um, qualification, the harder it is, right? The more it excludes people. So if we could think more about, right, what forms of identification do more people have, then I think that would be, right, really the way to ensure that
0: everyone gets to vote. Okay, and there's two more years Till the,
1: yeah.
0: was it, a year, <laughs> one year, two years, how long is it?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we already have plenty of campaigning going on, right, so yeah. it'll be here before we know it.
0: That's right, so <laughs> if people do want to help out, they should contact you quickly.
1: Exactly, yeah, and, and I would love to say that if people are interested, right, we've got lots of materials, right, we, we had scripts we wrote for our students, right, we, we can help with sampling designs, all sorts of things we can help with people thinking about logistics of how they would want to do this.
0: Fantastic, well thank you for talking to us today, Kelly. Yeah. Good luck.
1: Well, can I say one more thing? Of course you can. Okay. So I just want to end, though, by saying, right, okay, so we found that it was half of a percent to two percent were maybe affected. And I worry that people are going to go, all right, well, then this is not really a big deal, right? And so the one extra thing I want to add to that is if we just look at the 2014 federal election. There were two races that were decided by less than half a percent. There were four that were decided by a margin of less than one percent. So even if it's a small effect, right, even if it's a small number of people who are impacted, it still can have a pretty practical significance. Excellent.
0: Well, thank you very much again for talking to us today, and yeah, good luck with any future studies that may come out of this. Thank you. My name is Brian Tarrant, and I'm the editor of Significance Magazine. Find us online at significancemagazine.com. For this special JSM series of podcasts, we're collaborating with Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. Follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.